say, wow, God was faithful and God was good to me to answer that prayer with a no. Because you see, even though God said no to Monica's request, it was her son moving to Italy which led him to sit under the preaching of Ambrose. And it was sitting under the preaching of Ambrose that God used to draw Augustine to himself. And not only did Augustine come to Christ, but God then used him in a great way to serve the church and carry out the mission of God in the world. But it started with a mother who was faithfully praying for her son. A mother who had to receive that God sometimes answers prayers with a no. Augustine would at one point write this of prayer. We'll have this up on the screen a quote from Augustine, he writes, If God seems slow in responding, it is because he is preparing a better gift. He will not deny us. God withholds what you are not yet ready for. He wants you to have a lively desire for his greatest gifts. All of which is to say, pray always and do not lose heart. Pray always and do not lose heart, church. That is a good exhorting application point of where the truth of God's word is going to lead us this morning. We are going to walk away, hopefully encouraged and exhorted, to pray always and not lose heart. Pray always and do not lose heart, church. We're back in Romans 8 this morning, and I'm going to attempt to cover two verses this morning, 26 and 27. I was a bit ambitious in sending the church email out, uh, thinking we could get through verse 30 this morning, and there's just way too much good stuff in here to cover it all in one week. And so this morning, we're picking up where we left off two weeks ago. In verses now 26 and 27, two weeks ago, you'll remember, we learned about how we are all groaning for glory. We were created for glory, but in our sin, we seek the glory that comes from one another instead of the glory that comes from God. But thanks be to God, he has frustrated our pursuit of the glory of glory apart from him. In fact, he has frustrated all of creation by subjecting it to futility, not out of cruelty, but with a confident expectation or what the Bible calls a hope that we would be redeemed from our worthless pursuits of glory and instead pursue the glory that comes from him. And in verses 18 through 25, as way of reminder, you'll remember how we were learning how to groan for glory well. We first saw that we are to put our groaning and suffering in perspective. We learned that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us and through us. We then learned to embrace the purpose of our groaning. This is a redemption by frustration. God is rescuing us from our sin and our pursuit of vain glory. And then we learn that the Father has sent us help to groan for glory well. He has first sent his Son who suffered and groaned for us in order to secure our glory. But the Father and Son have also sent the Spirit who empowers us to patiently persevere. And that's where we're picking up this morning. We are to groan for, long for, and pursue the glory that comes from God, church. And the reason we can patiently persevere in this pursuit of glory is because the Spirit will help us in our weakness. Therefore, may we pray and not lose heart. May we pray always and not lose heart. So let's pray as we start our time this morning. Father, we run to you to take refuge in you this morning. The assembly of your people, we have gathered around you to exalt you and to rejoice in you, to be strengthened by you. Oh, Father, may you rescue us from the lies that we have heard and believed and maybe even told ourselves this last week, and may you transform us and renew us with your truth. 
Father, I ask that you would give us a greater appreciation for the work of the Spirit in our lives and in your world. We give thanks to you this morning for your word and your work. All you have said and all you have done is right. Convict us of sin. Give us faith to believe and receive forgiveness. Help us be assured of what Christ has accomplished for us and what the Spirit has applied to us. We ask that you would align our hearts with yours, that we would praise you this morning. We come to you in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Well, look with me now at Romans 8, verse 26. Romans 8, 26. God's word says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Verse 26 starts with the word, likewise. And in context, I know it's been a couple of weeks to try to recap somewhat what's happening in the preceding verses, but the word likewise is there is because Paul is referring us back to how in the preceding verses we learned that our hope Our confident expectation for the future is one of the things that helps us and sustains us in the midst of our sufferings and our groanings in this life. And he says, likewise, in a similar way, likewise, not only do you have a future hope, but you have a present help. Right? Likewise, not only do you have a future hope like we were just talking about, but you have a present help. You have the Holy Spirit who helps us right now in our weakness. Now, the Holy Spirit, if we can be honest, is sometimes the person of the Trinity that we are embarrassed to speak about. He makes some of us and some of the churches we grew up in and were raised in a little uncomfortable. It's a bit more comfortable for us to speak about the Father and to speak about the Son, Jesus Christ, and We can start to get our minds around understanding the work of our Father. We can start to see some of the glory of the work of Christ, but but we must not ignore the work of the Holy Spirit, church. For the Holy Spirit is the greatest gift and helper that Jesus promised to send us. In fact, think about the first disciples of Jesus. Even after spending a few years constantly with Jesus, Even after knowing the scriptures and performing miracles and being firsthand witnesses to all that Jesus had done, Jesus, after he had risen, before he ascends to heaven, before his disciples are to embark on this great commission to go disciple the nations, he tells them first to stop and wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. In Acts 1 verse 4, It says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Then he goes on in verse 8, and he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And the ends of the earth said, amen. Amen. You guys left me hanging on that one. All right. That's all right. The ends of the earth said, amen. Isn't this amazing, church? Doesn't this teach us just how significant and crucial having the Holy Spirit is? Disciples who had just been with Jesus in the flesh, who could give firsthand accounts of all that Jesus did and said, Jesus tells them to wait. Tells them to wait. Because he knows that the success or failure of them as individuals and collectively is not going to be dependent upon their power. It's going to be dependent on God's power. And so he tells them to wait. Wait until they've received power from the Spirit. He tells them to wait. 
And sometimes God tells us to wait, doesn't he? But notice this. He tells them to wait for someone, not something. He tells them to wait for someone, not something. He tells them to wait for the Holy Spirit, who is God. As, as Christians, we believe in one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. All are one in substance, power, and eternity, each having the whole divine essence, being undivided, and yet they are distinct persons. A.W. Tozer wrote a short book on how to be filled with the Holy Spirit, which is one of the new books we have out on our uh, little bookstore table out there. I'd encourage you to, to check it out. We have some more resources on prayer out there for you. But he writes this of the Holy Spirit. He says, he is a person. Put that down in capital letters. He is not matter, but he is substance. The Holy Spirit is often thought of as a wind that blows across the church. If you think of the Holy Spirit as being literally a wind a, and a breath, then you think of him as non-personal. But the Holy Spirit has will and intelligence and feeling and knowledge and sympathy and ability to love and see and think and hear and speak and desire the same as any person has. You see, church, we start to get a little off track when we depersonalize the Spirit, when we speak of Him as a thing or a force and not a person. No, He is a person of the Trinity. He is God, and He can be grieved. And He possesses a mind and a will. And is this, it is this person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, who is our great comforter and counselor, and we see here our helper. And we learn here that just like the book of Hebrews taught us that Jesus is right now interceding for us in heaven, we learn here that the Spirit is interceding for us here on earth. Just like our future hope helps us persevere through present sufferings and groanings, likewise, in a similar way, we have a present help. And our present help is the Spirit who helps us in our weakness. This is good news. Now, when we read about our weakness, our first response should be, which one? Because I don't know about you, but I've got a lot of weaknesses. In my flesh, being born separated from God with a propensity to sin, I've got a lot of weaknesses, and certainly God helps us by the Spirit in a lot of our weaknesses, but Paul clarifies here what he's talking about. Look at the next word in verse 26. He says for, F-O-R, for. Most of the time when you see the word for, it's, it's sometimes helpful to even circle it when you're studying God's word because it's a signal to us that he's explaining the previous statement. Look what he says about the Spirit helping us in our weakness. He says, For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You see what the weakness is that he's referring to. He says, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. The weakness that Paul is referring to here is that we don't know what to pray for. And it's really comforting to me that Paul says, we don't know what to pray for. Not just you don't know what to pray for. Paul is including himself as having this weakness as well. This great apostle, who I think it's safe to say, he was in no way an immature Christian. I mean, the apostle Paul, he knew some things and he had seen some things. And he includes himself here in this weakness and says, hey, there are times where we don't know what to pray for. It's a great, very freeing admission to hear the Apostle Paul say that. Because haven't you experienced this before? I mean, it's difficult to pray always and not lose heart, which is what I'm exhorting us to today. It's difficult to do that 
when we don't even know what to pray for because of our weakness. And, and, and let's talk about our weakness a little bit more. There are a few reasons, many reasons more than what we could cover today, but a few of the reasons that we don't know what to pray for are because of our ignorance, our sin, and our pain. Let's talk about those three this morning. Reasons why we don't know what to pray for are because of our ignorance, our sin, and our pain. So let's first talk about our ignorance. We are finite, limited creatures, aren't we? We are not able to see the big picture like God can see. We can only see right now what's right here in front of us. And maybe a silly example of this was from this past week. My family and I, we went to Holiday World with the extended family. And I was praying that it wouldn't rain so that we could enjoy the park and time together enjoying these fun outdoor activities. One, day, one of the days God said no, and one of the days God said yes to that prayer, all right? But as I'm, I'm praying this, the thought crossed my mind, I wonder if there's a farmer praying for rain because he knows his crops need the rain. And his request would probably seem a bit more important than my request, so maybe I shouldn't even pray mine. Because I don't really know what's best for the region in general, whether it should rain or not. I mean, does anyone else have these thoughts about when you're praying and and thinking deeply about some of these things? I mean, especially with weather prayers. I mean, who, who of us really knows what's best for the region and the ecosystem, right? And so the question is, should my ignorance, should my limited or lack of omniscience keep me from making my request known before God? Should that weakness keep me from speaking with my father? Well, thanks to the truth of these verses, we can say absolutely not. Our weakness and our ignorance should not keep us from prayer. We embrace prayer because of our weaknesses. And we know that even as we are praying, not only is Jesus interceding for us in heaven, but the Spirit is interceding for us here on earth and in our hearts, and he's doing so in accordance with the will of God. The Holy Spirit is your perfect prayer partner. And when you start getting after it in prayer, he's praying right along with you, but he's doing so in accordance with the will of God. Of God. Now, when we speak of the will of God, all right, let's, let's, let's step out for a second. As we speak of the will of God, it's helpful to understand three different aspects of God's will. The first is his revealed will, which is not hidden from us, but revealed to us through his word and his world. And we are blessed to live in a time and place where we have access to the written word of God, written, translated into our language, after most of us receiving an education, learning how to read, so that we can now open up this book and learn what is the revealed will of God. The revealed will of God, this is an aspect of his will we can choose to follow or not. And this aspect of his will, it transforms our hearts and our prayers as we learn more of it. The revealed will of God. The second aspect of his will is his dispositional will, which is also primarily revealed to us through his word. And this aspect of his will shows us the heart of God. For example, that our God is a God who desires all people to be saved and come to repentance and faith, to come to the knowledge of the truth, like it says in 1 Timothy 2, verse 4. That's not to say that all people will be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, but this is the heart posture of our God. This is his dispositional will. But the third aspect of his will, and the aspect of the will that the Spirit is interceding for the saints in, is his sovereign will, sometimes called his hidden will will. God has revealed to us certainly all we need to know, but church, he has not revealed to us all that there is to know. But the Spirit knows the sovereign will of God because he is God and therefore can come alongside us in our prayers as we pray 
he helps in our weakness and is interceding for us according to the sovereign will of God, which we are many times ignorant to. I mean, we don't know how God is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, which we will see next week. But the Spirit knows, and therefore the Spirit is our perfect prayer partner. Haven't you had times where prayer becomes so much more alive, so much conversational, so much more inspired and passionate when you're praying with a prayer partner who's passionate about prayer? For those of you that have ever prayed with my mom, I would say she's one in our church with this giftedness and this passion. And to pray with her, it, it, it fires you up in prayer as well. It, 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 her spirit, the spirit working in her is working in the spirit working in you. And, and, and you're, you're encouraging and exhorting one another through prayer. And it's, there's something energizing about that. And praise God for our brothers and sisters who are gifted and passionate in this way. But church, we must understand that all of us who have the Holy Spirit, we have a perfect prayer partner who's coming alongside us and even causes our weak prayer lives to somehow be woven into the perfect plans and purposes of God. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. That word helps, it, it only occurs here and in one other place in the New Testament. And this is a word getting at the idea of someone carrying a heavy load and another person coming alongside to take the other end and bear the burden with him. And so if prayer sometimes seems to you like that, this overwhelming burden that's too heavy for you to bear, I've got good news for you this morning. God's word says the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit comes alongside and bears the other end of the burden. And praying, to me, it sometimes seems like this big, heavy thing. We know we should be doing it, but we can't seem to carry it on very well on our own. And the good news is, church, we don't have to. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit is our perfect prayer partner. And so this is why we can come to God with, with the faith and, and the prayer of a child. And we can make our requests known, even in our ignorance and weakness and finiteness. God wants us to, church. We're going to learn later in Romans 12, verse 12, where Paul's going to exhort us to rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in in prayer. When you really embrace your weakness and ignorance, it will not keep you from praying. It will cause you to embrace real, honest prayer. It will help you see that prayer is not some sort of genie in the bottle scenario where you must first make sure you're going to pray the right thing and then pray, and then God is bound to your request. Get the, get the genie in the bottle mentality out of your mind when it comes to prayer. Prayer is much more like the relationship of a father has with their child, where we come and talk to our dad. Prayer is communing with our triune God, and when we pray, we know that we are not the only ones praying. Jesus is praying and the Spirit is praying, and we are praying. And as we are praying, we are trusting that God knows what to do with our prayer in order to bring about his good and sovereign purpose in our lives. So don't let the question of, am I saying the right prayer or asking the right thing of God, don't let that keep you from praying. Go to your Father. He knows what to do with messy prayers, and the Spirit is coming alongside you and praying alongside you as your perfect prayer partner. He knows how to weave your prayer into the sovereign will of God. Don't let ignorance 
or your limited knowledge keep you from praying always? Pray always, church, and do not lose heart. Another reason that we do not know how to pray as we ought to is because of the sin that still remains in our hearts. We must acknowledge this. James 4, verse 3, says, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Many times our prayers are just outright sinful and selfish. And God is good and right to say no to some of those things. Sometimes our prayers, uh, maybe as we get, become a bit more sanctified, sometimes our prayers have mixed motives. I mean, if we could be 100% honest, a lot of our prayers have mixed motives, don't they? Mainly good, probably, but with a little selfish desire mixed in. And therefore, when we come to worship and we come to the Word and we come to prayer and we come to the Lord's Supper, we ask God to continuously search our hearts which we learn in verse 27 that he does. And we ask him to search our hearts and to expose the sin that needs to be confessed and turned from. Church, our sin should not keep us from prayer, though. However, we must be ready for our sin to be purified through prayer. Don't let sin keep you from prayer, but when you come to prayer, be ready for sin to be purified through prayer and through the word of God. Come ready to to allow God to expose the sin that's there that you didn't even know was there. And when he does, hand it to him and turn from it and look to the cross. As we read God's word, our prayers will be transformed and more aligned with God's revealed will as well. As we continue to learn more of his revealed will, don't our prayers, they they start to be transformed and purified and more aligned with the will of God. But church, don't let the sin and the mixed motives that still remain, don't let that keep you from praying. If you are a believer, you have the Spirit, and the Spirit is partnering with you when you pray. Brian Chappell, in his book, Praying Backwards, he shares an illustration that I think would be really helpful for us. He talks about how he enjoys watching a baker decorate a cake with an icing pipe and an icing decorator. Right? The icing is all globbed into this tube and this unformed mess. But attached at the end of the pipe is this decorator tip. And when the baker forces the icing through the tip, this, this globby mess gets shaped into an intricate design that makes the cake beautiful. And he shares in the book that in a similar way, this is how the Holy Spirit helps our prayers. We glob our desires and mess, which is our, our prayer life, we glob it all into one end, We don't necessarily intend to make a mess of things, but we have these mixed motives. We have limited vision. We have no assurance that our prayers exactly match God's design. And really, when you think about it, I mean, we should hesitate to pray if all of our prayers were God's only direction for accomplishing his purposes. Shouldn't that, like, if God was only going by our prayers in accomplishing his purposes, shouldn't that make us a little concerned with what we're praying? Or at least be like, hey, you pray, but you, maybe, maybe you don't pray this week. You pray, you know. If our prayers were truly capable of binding God's hands, we would be dangerous. I think we can admit that. Our finite, fallible will cannot devise the best course for the universe and for our lives. But no, we pray because we believe the Holy Spirit works like that decorator tip. He forms the glob and mess of our prayers into God's beautiful design for all things. You see, if the Holy Spirit is interceding for us according to the will of God, this frees us to pray messy, unformed prayers and hand over to God all our desires and feelings and frustrations and requests and groanings and mixed motives because we can trust that our sovereign God will know what to do with them and he will use them to create his perfect design. We shouldn't allow the weakness of our 
mixed motives and our limited vision keep us from praying. We have the Holy Spirit. Ask him to help and then pray. Pray always, church, and do not lose heart. But then there are also times where we don't know what to pray because we're hurting. Sometimes it's because of our ignorance. Sometimes it's because of our sin. But sometimes it's because we're hurting so badly. Pain sometimes takes our breath away, doesn't it, church? The suffering of this present time can at times knock the wind out from us. Where we truly don't know what to pray at all. We can't get words out. And I was looking back in a, an old prayer journal from 2010 through 2013. And there were times where all I could pray were just, Father, help. Father, help. Father, please speak. Some of my prayers were, were simply, Father, help me breathe and remind me that you are good. There are times where that is all we can get out. And I tell you what, here's, here's why I love a prayer journal. It's really encouraging to look back on it 10 to 12, 13 years later. 10 to 12 years ago, Brittany and I had moved back to Indiana from, from college in Ohio. We were praying that God would provide us a, a church family to be a part of. We were praying that the Lord would give us good friends. We felt really lonely. We were praying that the Lord would bless us with kids. We didn't know if we'd be able to get pregnant. We were praying for direction with careers. We were wrestling with calls to ministry. I was feeling overwhelmed with life. And I could not see how in the world certain things could work out. I, I couldn't see how student loans to Butler would work with becoming a pastor. I just didn't see how that was, there would be any way that could work. And I could not understand in that moment how even the hard things and how even the bad things were going to be weaved together for good for those who love God, like we're going to see in verse 28. I really can't wait to preach the sermon next, next week. But in some of these moments, I didn't know what to pray. And if that's you at times, if that's you because you're hurting and because of the pain that you're in, I want you to know that that's okay at times. Because you know what? The spirit who dwells inside you, he knows what to pray. He knows what to pray. So pray. It's okay if your words are few. God's not afraid of some awkward silence. You might find it's in fact his gift to you. Church, even when you don't know what to pray for, keep praying. Keep calling out to your Father. Because you know what? Our weakness and God's power are put on display when we pray. Neither one should keep us from praying. Okay, that's, that's the lie we believe. Either our weakness or God's power sometimes keeps us from praying. But no, it is in prayer that our weakness and God's power are put on display. I mean, we've talked about how our weaknesses keep us from praying, but some of you, you know, your belief in God's power has kept you from praying. And it sounds virtuous at first. You'll be like, well, God knows better than me. He has a perfect plan. I'll just pray your will be done and leave the rest up to him. He knows what I need before I pray, so why pray? Sounds biblical, sort of. Sounds logical. 
But if that's you, if God's power is keeping you from praying, what's happening is you're missing out on the relational component of prayer and the humbling part of prayer. I can hear my boys in the other room saying, I wish we could go do this, or I wish I had that, or wouldn't it be cool to have this or that. Brittany and I many times know what they need before they ask. But doesn't it bring you great joy? Doesn't it bring a closeness to our relationship when they actually come and ask? Come and ask me, sons. You have a good father who delights in you and has your good in mind always. Don't miss out on that relational component of coming to your father. Yes, he knows more than you. Yes, he he knows what you need before. But the point is to have that relationship with him. The point is to have that conversation with him. And there's also this humbling component to prayer. Because it's one thing to talk about or gripe about what you are desiring, but it's very humbling to go to God and ask. I used to think that me being bad at prayer was because I wasn't disciplined enough. And I thought I just needed more discipline in my life, and then I would be good at prayer. And certainly there, there might be an aspect to that. There is an aspect to just getting after it in prayer, even when you don't feel like it, and having that discipline and habit and routine. But I'm not convinced that discipline is primarily why we don't pray. Pastor Kevin hit on this in the 945 prayer time. It's something Paul Miller in his book, A Praying Life, says. He says, you don't need self-discipline to pray continuously. You just need to be poor in the Spirit. So let me, let me clear up something for you. If you're feeling bad at prayer, I don't want anyone to walk out of here feeling guilty about their prayer life. God's word is saying it's a weakness for us. You are bad at prayer. The apostle Paul was bad at prayer. It's a bit freeing to just admit that, okay? So no one, I'm not guilting anyone into prayer, but listen, let me clear this and dispel this from your mind. A lack of prayer is not primarily a discipline issue. It is a pride issue. We don't pray because we don't think we need to. You drink coffee and brush your teeth and eat dinner, not because you are so disciplined. You do these things because you believe you need to do these things to survive. And my prayer is that God would humble us this morning through his word, that you would allow God to humble you every morning as you go to him in prayer and you ask of him, to provide you with your daily provisions. Yes, I believe he's going to be faithful even when we are faithless, but there's something wonderful happening in your heart when you are asking what he tells you to ask him for. When we participate with our perfect prayer partner, we get the joy in growing in humility and resting in his power. Our weakness and God's power are both put on display when we pray. Neither one should keep us from praying because our prayer partner, the Spirit, works them together when we pray. Okay, so get this. Prayer is the place where our weakness and God's power come together to accomplish the will of God. Isn't that wonderful? Prayer is the place where our weakness... And God's power come together to accomplish the will of God. Because you need to know, we all feel like we are bad at prayer. But we are at our best when we are praying. When we are admitting our weakness, but also enjoying the power of God and partnered with the Spirit in accomplishing the will of God. I was hit with the reality that I am pastoring at my best, when I, not when I'm preaching, when I am praying for you. 
that is when I'm your best pastor. That is when Pastor Kevin or Pastor Gary are being their best pastors to you. It's when they're praying for you. That's when your city group leaders are being the best city group leaders they can be for you. It's when they are praying for you. It's when you as a church member are being the best church member you could be. It's when you're praying for your church. It's the best thing you could do as a husband or as a father, as a child, as a brother or sister. It's the place where our weakness and God's power come together to accomplish the will of God. And this truth that we, this is a weakness for us, that we don't know what to pray, that we are bad at prayer, practically speaking, this should clear the air at the prayer gatherings we have, shouldn't it? The, the 9.45 prayer time, it's a, it's a wonderful time, but, but sometimes we fall into just only a few, you know kind of who's going to pray and who's not going to pray. And I would say we can all take a deep breath and say everyone in the circle is bad at prayer. The ones that are used to praying out loud are going to pray too elaborately and long-winded and use all these terms that, like, they just need a more honest, short prayer. And those people that are too afraid to pray because they feel like people are going to know and learn they're bad at prayer if they speak out loud, they can be free to know you are bad at prayer, so just let it, let it go. Ask the Spirit to help and then go for it. You've got a perfect prayer partner. And you and your flesh are bad at it. So whether it's the 945 time, whether it's our Thursday morning prayer times, which are starting back this week, Thursdays from 7 to 8 a.m. here, we're praying together. Whether it's praying with your city group, which I know many of are starting back soon. Man, would, would, would this free us to pray in the Spirit? To be able to pray in the Spirit and admit we have a weakness in our flesh about praying, but we have a perfect prayer partner. And in prayer, our weakness, God's power, are going to come together and accomplish God's perfect will. Let's do this. Let's pray. Let's pray always and not lose heart. So what do we practically do when we don't know what to pray? I would like to get really practical and applicable here as we close our, our sermon time down. What do we do when we practically don't know what to pray? Sometimes we must just sit quietly with the Lord and say, Father, help. That's okay at times to just say, Father, help. Like I said before, silence is not awkward to God. It's, it's, it's sometimes God's gift to you to just sit in that silence and cry out to your Father. But I think what you'll find and what you'll be surprised by, if, if not even that first day or first moment, if you continue to go to the Lord, go to your Father, and say, Father, help, I think what you'll find is that even though you think you have nothing to pray about, you go to the Father, you ask the Spirit to help, you sit quietly there, and the Spirit will likely start prompting you with plenty to speak to your Father about. But sometimes the pain is so bad, the hurt is so bad, sometimes we do. We sit quietly and we wait. I'm not going to go into my job this morning until I sit quietly and wait with the Lord. If the apostles, the disciples, the first disciples of Jesus, if they were told to wait on the Lord and on the power of the Holy Spirit before they went and did the task they were given, shouldn't we be waiting for the Spirit as well before we go and do whatever God has called us to do throughout the week? You must, at least for a brief moment, stop and cry out to your Father and ask the Spirit to help. Let Him shape how you go about working throughout the day. Sometimes we do just have to sit quietly and we wait. Another thing we can do when we don't know what to pray is that we can open up God's Word and we can read and meditate on Scripture. William Bridges, one of the Puritans, he wrote this. He says, Though a man's heart be much indisposed to prayer, Yet if he can but fall into a meditation of God and the things of God, his heart will soon come off to prayer. 
Begin with reading or hearing. Go on with meditation. End in prayer. Reading without meditation is unfruitful. Meditation without reading is hurtful. To meditate and to read without prayer upon both is without blessing. Now, I know there's a lot there. You can leave that up on the screen for a little bit. He says there towards the end, reading without meditation is unfruitful. Sometimes, listen, it's good to read large portions of Scripture. I know uh, there's a group of ladies reading through the New Testament this summer. I think that's great. Read through large portions of Scripture. It helps get you the whole storyline of the Bible and, and God's redemptive plan and everything that's happening. That's good. But you do at times after reading, you do also need to supplement that with some sort of meditation on God's truth, a a, a nugget of truth that you can take from your reading and chew on the rest of the day. Spurgeon used to describe it as finding a a morsel and uh, that he would keep, you know, under his tongue the whole day and, and savor it throughout the day. It's, if you have facial hair, you can think of it in that regard, right? Sometimes after a meal, you just leave some stuff there to enjoy the rest of the day. The same thing should be happening in your time in the Word. Make sure there's something there that you can just chew on and savor throughout the day. That when your mind starts to wander or go down paths you know it shouldn't go, go to, it can come back to this truth about God. And let me tell you, church, this is one of the delights of preaching or teaching God's word. It's because it forces you to not just read God's word, not just study God's word, but then you're all throughout the week, you're chewing on it. And oh, it's such a delight. And you don't have to be a preacher or teacher to enjoy that. You can take something, what am I going to walk away with to chew on the rest of the day? Reading without meditation, he says, is unfruitful. But reading with meditation, this is one of God's means of grace to us. He also says in this quote, he says, meditation without reading is hurtful. Okay, now listen, in the the world, there's lots of talks now about meditation and mindfulness that are not Christian meditation. Um, Ungodly meditation would be trying to empty your mind. That's not what Christian meditation is all about. Christian meditation is about filling your mind with truth and then chewing on that truth all day. All right, so meditation without reading is hurtful. And then he says, to meditate and to read without prayer upon both is without blessing. We're missing out on the blessing of God's word if we're skipping over a time of also prayer. It's like the person who gets a really great steak dinner and devours it as fast as they can and then spits it all out. They're not going to digest it or enjoy it at all. You're missing out on the blessing of God's word, the blessing of meditating on it, if you're not also praying about throughout both. Prayer brings us into the plans and purposes of God. Prayer brings the truth of God by the Holy Spirit into our lives. We internalize it. We might not ever know his sovereign will exhaustively, but we do know his revealed will. And therefore, when we don't know what to pray, we can pray his word. These words were inspired by the Holy Spirit, who is your perfect prayer partner, who resides in you. When we don't know what to pray, we can also pray with others. The Spirit is working in our brothers and sisters. And if we can all get over the fact that we're all not that great at prayer, we can pray more together. And this is really how prayer is learned. It's, it's, you can't really teach prayer. It's, people say it's, it's more caught than taught. It's through praying with brothers and sisters that we learn to pray, that we are encouraged to pray, that we are exerted to pray, that we fall in love with, with prayer and conversing with our Father. And so when you don't know what to pray, pray with some brothers and sisters. Pray with your family. Pray with your city group. Pray with your church. When we don't know what to pray, ultimately we ask the Spirit to help, and then we pray. Amy Carmichael is a missionary 
to India in the early 1900s. And as a child, she, uh, you know, her mother had taught her to pray for things she wanted and that, that God loves to, to answer our requests. And Amy had brown eyes. She really wanted to have blue eyes. So she prayed to the, her father, fully expecting to wake up in the morning and have blue eyes. This was her first experience with prayer. Her mother said it worked and that God hears and answers. And so she prayed for blue eyes, woke up the next morning, ran to the mirror, and had a dilemma of faith because she still had brown eyes. Her mother lovingly explained that sometimes God answers prayers with a no and that she should keep praying and not lose heart like we've been exhorted to today. Therefore, she kept praying. And what happened through her keeping praying and conversing with her heavenly father, God eventually called her to the mission field in India. And she worked on the mission field to smuggle children out of pagan temples who were being abused. And she later realized that it was her brown eyes and complexion that allowed her to blend in and not stand out as a foreigner. Everyone with blue eyes got spotted and picked off. But God in his wisdom had answered her prayers for blue eyes with a no. And the spirit had taken her weakness and weaved it together with God's power and had accomplished God's sovereign will in her and through her. Church, if you are going to groan for the glory that comes from God, if you are going to patiently persevere towards the glory that God is going to reveal to you and through you, then you must pray always and not lose heart. You must pray always and not lose heart, church, even when God answers with a no or a not yet. Prayer is the place where our weakness and God's power come together to accomplish his will. Yes, you will be bad at it, but you've got the Holy Spirit as your perfect prayer partner. Ask for his help, pray always, and do not lose heart. Let's pray.